I'm Ariane Elfant, and this is Death the Podcast. Death is the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. My guest today is journalist Justin Noble. Justin is a graduate of Columbia. His writing has appeared in lots of media, including Time, Tin House, Audubon, and the Chicago Tribune. I learned about Justin from a blog he is part of called Digital Dying. Digital Dying came to be during a year Justin spent writing obituaries for a small newspaper in Western California. His interest and fascination with writing obituaries sparked the idea to start an obituary writing news service. While pursuing that, he was offered a job writing a weekly blog about death. Digital Dying runs on a funeral information site called FuneralWise.com. This website is interested in bringing funerals online and in providing funeral resource information. For the past six to seven years, Justin has been doing the blog on FuneralWise along with magazine journalism. I wanted Justin to join me on Death the Podcast to give us insight into the diverse cultural differences and traditions in looking at death. Welcome, Justin. Good evening, Ariane. I wanted to ask you, what things have you written about that inspire you about death? That inspire me about death? Yeah, good question. I I think early on in writing this blog, I had to come to the the realization that it it can't be a depressing downer um sad sort of blog like like there's that aspect of death but death is also this uh far-reaching massive creative project that that's handed to us and different cultures different peoples go in different directions and um and that yeah that is culture and that that can be inspiring it's inspiring to learn what other people do with their time creatively um so i and that's it's also a springboard into the journalism um really fascinating stories have come from looking into death looking to the topic of death Mm -hmm. so with me true inspiration is always connected to going places so it's uh, always at the edge of my mind is, is like, where can I go to find this thing? And so with the death blog, for example, there were um, really fascinating practices like the Inuit have this, um, they used to have this practice where they would abandon elderlies, uh, elderly folks on ice flows and... Mm. Um, and and in Japan there was something called Granny Dot Mountain where um, sons would carry their grandmothers to the top of these holy mountains and leave them there to die of exposure and starvation. So um, maybe I'm getting ahead of the questioning, but no, these no, <laughs> not at all. Um, so so yeah, these were places that that sort of emerged on the map, spots on the map. It's always um, as a freelance magazine journalist, it's like a blank map. And then these spots sort of start glowing, like, wow, this is the, the sacred place to learn about this thing. Mm-hmm. And so with now with the death blog, it was uh, places tinged with death. It had Death was sort of the theme that drew me to that place. So Japan was one of them. Um, and so I, 
I would be writing weekly blogs about a, a number of topics, but certain subjects like Granny Dump Mountain, this mountain where they're dumping grandmothers. I mean, that's really wild. That's, that's really wild. Um, and it also, you know, connects to things happening in our own culture. We all can, um, we all know that experience of having a, a grandparent maybe in a nursing home or in some sort of setting where they're um, kind of sedated and um, comfortable. And, and that's the American vision of death. You know, you at the end, you go to a soft, cozy place and, and everyone gathers around and you, slay, you say goodbye and, and like, you know, the tubes are disconnected one by one and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I found is that there are places in the world, um, many places in the world where, where it happened differently and even still happens differently, where, where people make a decision to, to, to like chop it off at the knees. And um, before we get to the sessile, uh, incapable of moving state, just um, it almost like kill people. It's mm -hmm. called senicide, the practice of um, killing the elderly. So that's what was happening in Japan. Um, and the idea was that there's only en these. This was remote, mountainous areas. There's only enough food to last um, the winter for a certain number of people. So the elderly would bow out, and um, and it was. Uh, it was something that was within the family. So a son would often carry his mother or father up a mountain, special mountain, and leave them there at the top. Um, now, is this something you actually observed? So that was always, yeah. I, I, I tend to <laughs> drift into fantasy. <laughs> and, um, and for me, which it's difficult as a journalist to say this, but yeah, myth like crosses into reality and, and the thing that seems most exciting becomes the truth to me. Mm -hmm. Um, just something that Joan Didion talks about too. Like it, uh, and I think that's okay. Uh, fact and fiction can merge a little bit, but yeah, did this really happen in Japan? That was a question. So I had spent some time in the, in the Western Pacific. Um, another thing as a freelance journalist, it pays to go places where not a lot of people are where mm -hmm. not a lot of people are writing about. You can sell stories better. So I had grown really interested in Yap, these remote islands in the Western Pacific. And I, I shipped myself there and I spent like six months in Yap and that was really exciting. And then I was out, you know, in the Western part of the earth and I was like, well, what else, um, where else can I go from here? And Japan was really close. And so I thought, oh, wow, I can finally go to Japan and learn about Granny Dump Mountain and, and find out if it's true or not. Um, so I did not observe the granny dumping. <laughs> it seems that it doesn't happen anymore. I talked to a lot of interesting sociologists, anthropologists, mm -hmm. who told me about the practice, but it was interesting. They wouldn't um, really admit that it happened. Japan is a really different place. Everything about it is so different. Um, than America. America's a strange place too, <laughs> but I, th I, I was blown away at every turn. Um, and, and one of the differences was that there, there are these formalities, uh, and this all makes sense. You know, ancient cultural traditions aren't just coughed up to any stranger. That's right. Um, but I did find uh, something even more <laughs> disturbing than granny dumping as I went around trying to solve this riddle, which is that there is um, this 
this practice of putting the elderly in cities, they put them in certain apartment buildings and often very tall apartment buildings. So it's sort of like an urban nursing home um, because there's actually a shortage of nursing homes. So you have these big um, government apartment buildings where a lot of old people are living. People in Japan live very long, so they have a healthy diet often. Um, and, And they're often living alone because the culture has changed there too. Just like in the U.S., we don't live in three generation households as much grandparents are separate in the nursing homes so in japan too the grandparents were alone in these big apartment buildings the kids don't visit them anymore and they would die alone and no one would discover the body for days weeks even months and in one case literally 10 years to discover this that this body had died Um, and they call it lonely death or kodokushi Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there actually was just a really um, big article in the new york times about lonely death happening in new york city so it does this is something it's sort of a uh, it's the modern day granny dumping Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so it does exist the isolation yeah exactly so right and and so for me it's like well wow in the old way it it was sort of magical you 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 had this act where you connected with your elder and carry them up a mountain and as awful as that is to say goodbye to them there's a charm to that now it's kind of only awful You, you you don't visit them you leave them alone in the apartment uh, and, and they die, and, and no one even notices the body's gone. That's how little we care about the elderly. So, I mean, what do you, what do you make about that, of that shift in, in perspective? I mean, there's something about that that you seem very compelled by. So, yeah, that's a topic that's come up uh, over and over in the blog, this idea that we're disconnected from the body. And so a lot of the interesting interviews I've done for the blog have been people who are reacting to that, mm-hmm. um, who are who are saying, you know, it's um, it, it's crazy the way Americans deal with death. We never see the body anymore. You go through this whole bureaucratic process where you spit out a lot of money and uh, watch it be transferred via coffins and mortuaries and then into a ground, but really never see the body. And that didn't used to be the case. People used to have a body in their living room. So there's people now this new generation of of morticians um, and and sort of uh, death fans who are reacting to that and and are saying, like, let's bring the body back into death. Um, And I also also hear you saying, like, let's bring let's bring intimacy. Yeah, absolutely. Connection and community. Yeah, right. So totally. And you've seen different that trend has gone in a lot of different directions. One right off the bat fascinating thing I learned is that um, at least in America, for the longest time, death was a male-dominated industry. In 1971, 95% of the people entering mortuary schools were men, and often sons or grandsons of people who were already morticians. Now, 60% are female, and that has totally um, ch- turned the industry on its head, which is a good thing. The industry was notoriously stodgy and old-fashioned, mm-hmm. um, and now there's all this new energy. And so a lot of these women are doing really cool things. Like um, there's a woman in Austin, Texas, who wants to have a funeral home that kind of doubles as like an art movie house. Um, and there's a woman in Australia who's designing death-related garments that you wear um, when you die, like clothes to be buried in because people now, and this is when you listen to her, you're like, of course, this is ridiculous. We're buried in like tuxedos (laughs) made of plastic (laughs) that take 
hundreds of years to dissolve into the mm-hmm. earth. Like, what are we doing, especially in this new eco-conscious age? So we should be buried in things that, you know, kind of dissolve with our body. Um, so, yeah, an intimacy in that way, in, in that we should not be so scared of death and, and the processes of it and, and um, allow it to happen in a more natural way. It's kind of like going back to nature. I think in terms of intimacy, you know, like our our people proposing to put bodies in the living room, I don't know if anyone, well, I'm sure people are. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe more like, that. maybe not intimacy, but like, now that you're talking more, it just seems more open and direct rather than compartmentalized and separated. Like, I mean, actually talking about deathware, for instance, right, <laughs> which right, is a concept right, right. I had not thought of until you, you just mentioned it. But that act, that does make a lot of practical sense. But that, that also is kind of bringing death into the room. like. Right. Totally. Yeah, I think. And that's the, the main shift you see with some of these people. There's another... Um, superstar mortician if you will named caitlin dowdy and she i think she still lives in la and she has a blog about death and that's exactly her point bringing death into the room and she's been on talk shows talking about this and um and really grown a following behind this idea like let's talk about it let's laugh at it um and yeah bringing it back to new orleans it's these are sort of things here that are already understood on some level. New Orleans is not like the rest of America. It's not as stodgy and <laughs> old fashioned. Um, and death is still celebrated in this spicy way that, that you know, doesn't happen in a lot of the rest of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and in, your, in your blog, um, I think the first, I don't know, I don't know which number it was I read, but, well, two of, two of them recently the one about the museum of death and then your one this week about um hospice at angola prison oh yeah um i I thought that was fascinating yeah and the inmates yeah that's sitting with one another there's a whole book in that i wanted to be able to speak with the actual hospice workers who are inmates at angola it's that you have to go through a lot of media hurdles to get access to that so i settled with visiting the museum but um yeah, what I had learned was that Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, um, has a hospice program because so many people are dying at Angola. There's so many life sentences, so many prisoners serving life sentences, that this the number I've heard is 80 to 80, 85% of people at Angola will die there. Um, and you don't necessarily think of dying as part of the prison process unless you're on death row um so yeah what do you do with that and it seems like before hospice people just sort of were put in a room and left alone to die i don't really know i'd love to be able to answer those questions but i don't think it was pretty but now Mm -hmm. they have this interesting program where prisoners are caring for other prisoners in their in their final moments um and uh yeah i would really like to talk to some of these people because what what a what a um, mental state that must be because these prisoners are going to die there too. They're not going anywhere. And every aspect of the death process has been constructed by prisoners. They built the hearse. They built the chapel that the ceremony, the funeral ceremony takes place in. They've dug the graves and they've made the gravestones. It's wild. 
there's a video they show at the museum at Angola, which anyone can go to. It's open to the public. And in that video, they interview a lot of the hospice volunteers. And, and one of them talks about his mother being really disappointed that he was in prison. It seemed like they were on bad terms. But when she learned that he became a hospice volunteer and was helping other people, he finally developed this relationship with his mother again. She she was proud that he had done something even in the confined space that he was in he had been able to reach out and and help humanity and and do something he felt positive about she felt positive about and um and then she died shortly thereafter so yeah that that was particularly touching um but yeah there's a there's a darker side to the to the hospice program too which i guess would get too deep into prison politics <laughs> um of 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 um yeah is it is it all sort of smoke and mirrors i mean i mean it is you have to keep people occupied that's kind of the big task at angola mm-hmm. how are you going to keep people occupied when they're here for their whole lives mm-hmm. yeah no i see what you're saying that there's 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 two sides of that right um, but but I do think it is most prisons don't have hospice programs. A lot of prisons have people growing old and dying as they serve out life sentences. None as many as Angola. Angola has more um, people serving life sentences than any other prison in the country. Um, but in a way, they they are leading the way with this idea of hospice because I think only 14 prisons have a hospice program, um, which means a lot don't. So what happens yeah. to these prisoners as they die? I don't know. Well, in, the, in general, this this like intrigue with with death for you. What I mean, where does that come from? Uh, you're obviously a curious person. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I'm a a morbid person. I think um, there is a little bit of a detachment as a journalist it's like the world becomes this weird freaky thing that you kind of laugh at and write about and and are curious about um but you are a little bit detached to be able to do that you're you're entering the trauma of people's lives you're entering the weirdness of people's lives and and you sort of have to think of it as well this is just something fascinating i'm writing about if you truly digest it 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 becomes too personal or it becomes too awful and it becomes different it becomes difficult to do um or it colors your writing in a way that probably makes it less interesting um but that being said also re- recently more and more i've realized that you know you can't be totally detached because then you're a little bit inhuman yourself and, and it is important to have a stance on certain issues to have a position um but with that, yeah, it's really m- remained um, a curiosity, a fascination, um, and in a way to explore culture. But it has entered personal space at times, and um, and, and then I've written about that. Like there was one um, blog I did about uh, my grandmother passed away and it was really strange the way it happened I had it was a, it was a 
winter in New Orleans, and um, it was a really cold winter up north. She lived in Chicago, and so I went to visit her, and it was this really strange experience of flying into Chicago, and the whole city was frozen, like the whole Midwest was frozen, and going to see her in this house she had been living in for like 50 years, and it's, you know, an ancient sort of house, not ancient, but like 1950s America, just right out of an old, um, like, Maytag commercial or something. <laughs> and then she um, she basically ended up dying, like, with me right in front of her. And I, and I was in the room with her as she gave her last breaths. And, um, and so that was something. <laughs> um, and, and then later I picked up this book that she was reading at the time, and the bookmark it was a library book, and the bookmark was in, you know, like chapter two. And the first sentence of that chapter was, This is how she died. And I was like, Wow, this is wild. Like, did she know she was going to die? I'm the eldest grandson. Had she maybe summoned me to, to like mm-hmm. witness mm-hmm. her death? And it was a very peaceful death, as deaths go. Um, and, and then, you know, even the OCD mind goes beyond that. Like, did you kill her? <laughs> Somehow you entering her space brought her to die. But, but, but no, I'm not so sure it was that it was more, it was more like she arranged it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, what, I mean, what a powerful moment to, to be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely powerful. And I think the family was very appreciative that I was there. She could have been a lonely death also i mean we uh, care about her and family visits her often but she lives alone you know she could have passed away in the house and been another lonely death we talked a little bit about some of the um cultural differences um in dying and funerals but i was wondering if you could say a little bit more about about that and and i mean clearly you're very interested in um, and different cultures and different landscapes and different environments and about how that relates to death dying. Yeah, totally. So, right, um, what I r- did realize early on was that death is is this great art project for culture to do something really interesting, and a lot of cultures have been led in fascinating directions. Um, so some of the ones that I noticed early on, like in um, certain parts of Ghana, in Africa, there's this notion of the fantasy coffin, which is that you will be buried in a very uh, expertly and elaborately made coffin that is really expensive and that's shaped into your fantasy. So if you loved cars, but maybe you never even owned a car, you'll be buried in like a Ferrari shaped coffin. <laughs> um, or um, they've also like a cigar, a uterus, a tooth, <laughs> um, any number of shapes. And that, you know, that's, that's art. And actually a lot of these coffins now are in art galleries in the U.S. So that is a really interesting artistic direction. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that came up early was in Taiwan, there's this idea of the stripper funeral, which is that a funeral procession um, will go often from the house to the cemetery, and events in Taiwan are supposed to be hot and noisy and, and boisterous and loud, and if it's not, it's a failed event, and even a funeral is supposed to be like that. And so they'll have almost like a second line, this sort of parade of, of music and people marching to the 
cemetery and how to spice it up even more well they have a truck a flatbed truck and on the back there's a woman dancing like pole dancing (laughs) um and that yeah um that's the Taiwanese stripper funeral and and then that happens in other parts of China too and um I didn't go there to suss that one out but I did speak with some anthropologists who study that phenomena and um something else that came up more recently is in um in Mexico there's you know there's this huge drug war going on there's these huge cartels which have immense amounts of power and when these big drug leaders die they're buried in what have now been called narco tombs which is that um like in New Orleans you can imagine the really extraordinary tombs in um, St. Louis Cemetery that are almost like little houses. Uh, these take it to the next level. They're like they're like gaudy Miami mansions <laughs> in a cemetery and colored absurd pastel yellow and pinks. Um, and, and, you know, the idea, you can see how it gets started. It's like, well, I want my tomb to be fancier than yours. Well, mine's going to be fancier. <laughs> now they're literally building, you know, like condominiums. <laughs> it's like tomb competition. So. Totally. Yeah. 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 Which is often the case as I've learned, um, which, yeah, I guess we're a competitive species, but yeah, these, these artistic competitions, which is, you know, like Mardi Gras too has mm-hmm. that, these, these mm-hmm. sort of who's going to make the best outfit. It's a creative battle. Um, which is a good thing to be battling about. <laughs> it is. It's I- interesting tying it into tombs. Yeah, right. That would not, uh, it's not one I would have thought of, <laughs> but they do that. Um, so, yeah, another thing that <laughs> that comes up a lot and is also, you know, it, easy with the fans is um, is anything to do with pets. So, yeah, you know, humans die and we care about that, but our pets die too. It can be really tragic. And um, so there's all sorts of niche industries that I've found that deal with this. So one is that there's there's pet psychics who can communicate to your dead pets. And, and you can, t- through the pet psychic, which can be done online, talk to your pet, find out how it's doing in cat heaven or dog heaven or dog hell or cat hell. Um, I think this mediums usually can go to both places. It can also find out, like, if... Um, so I spoke with one pet psychic in... California and he said you know if like a pet shows up missing he can go and contact the pet and and often learn that maybe it met a horrible end like it was eaten by coyotes and then he can tell the people exactly where like well part of the pet is at this dead end because that's where the coyote first got the little poodle and then like the other part is still in the coyote's stomach (laughs) he can get as a he he can get that yeah he says (laughs) 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 um and and then there's another, there's this great home business. I think they're probably still in business in West Virginia. This couple, you can send them your pet corpse and they embalm it, But which is something that's become sort of common, but theirs is, is special in my eyes because it's like a, it's a home business um, run like out of this wood shop behind their house. I don't know what methods they use and it takes <laughs> like five months, but then they send you back your dog or cat in whatever position you want. So if the cat was always nuzzled up on your side on the couch, you can have the cat preserved in that position forever. And and then the cat will always be, you put it on the couch and there it is, you know, like an ornament. That is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've got something going on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, How do you learn about all these businesses related to death and 
Yeah, good question. I have I have Google alerts with words like funeral, and I used to get Mortuary Magazine. There's a whole slew of magazines um, related to the funeral industry, but those actually weren't that interesting. The best way, really, is talking to someone, telling them what I d- do, mm-hmm. the side gig of writing about death, and then they'll be like, oh, wow, have you heard of da-da-da? And then I'm like, no, and I follow up on it, and um, that's really the best way, actually. Because people out there have a lot of knowledge. They might not have the comprehensive knowledge, but they know about one or two or three specific things that, that I've never heard of. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you is that, like, how do people r- respond to the fact that you write about this subject? It sounds like some people have some stuff they want to offer, and I'm wondering what other kind of reactions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because we it is something that we don't think about and that is a bit tabooed it's it's like breaking the ice at a party like everyone's kind of excited to pour something out because like oh wow yeah we don't talk about that and and here's this thing um so it's it's sort of easy in that sense like if i was writing about something like i was gonna say saints football which i don't (laughs) know about like people wouldn't be as eager but i think that people would be eager (laughs) to share their viewpoints but um you know, it's. I think it. Even me saying I write about death gives a person uh, that I'm talking to the forum to then s- say a little bit. And you often uh-huh. don't have that op- that option in daily life. So yeah, it's helpful. Kind of it opens them up. It really does sound like what you're what you're providing with your questions is a forum for people to share something that they might otherwise be alone with. Right, it connects. Cause are you are you in therapy or I'm a psychologist? <laughs> psychologist. Okay, <laughs> okay. So you talk to people, right? I do. I do a lot of listening. But you do a lot of listening. <laughs> okay, yeah. And so talking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right, I I often think that that journalism has a lot of similarities to that. You're you're opening people up. Well, uh, your mm. your approach to it certainly does. Right. <laughs> Psycho journalism. <laughs> well, the su- I mean, the subject matter itself is certainly lending lending itself to a lot of um emotion you know potentially um and a lot of unknown and your willingness to provide space for that and then sit with what comes i mean i think that that's extraordinary on your part right yeah no and and you get to get to hear a lot of extraordinary as a result of that there's still one part of me that does feel like if you talk about death in the city at all, you're 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 missing um, you're you're almost being ru- rude isn't the right word. You're you're sort of being tactless if you don't address the fact that so many murders happen in the city. There's so much death in the city, and death can come so quickly. Um, and and that is something I do think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and that's something I also think about, you know, as a writer, as an artist, or a writer who thinks himself as an artist, like how how to address that, and 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 so there is a project I've been thinking about where, um, because you read you read these stories in the newspaper, you know, NOLA.com or in the Advocate, and and a story about a murder in the city is usually unless it's a child, um, or, you know, um a very high profile case it, it's sort of like a couple paragraphs long and the details are always kind of similar and i know there's more behind that person there's more behind that death um and there's more behind that story and it's not 
told. It's often not told. And, and I think that's dangerous because it allows this sort of just wave of death to happen that's colorless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it fades in. Well, of course, an- another 22-year-old kid, you know, dead. And but and, and it's hard for the reporters and it's hard because the police don't share details and people in different neighborhoods might not sh- share details. But but that's something I, I I'm conscious of and um, and it's difficult to address. But I think there are, are ways to look into that and um, and I know there are artists and different people in the city um, you know who who are also looking into that theme mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah I'm working on a book now actually if, um, with a gentleman who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death so he was he went to Angola he was on death row and then eventually exonerated um, and I guess that's one way of, of sort of looking at that issue because he comes from a street life where there was a lot of death around but um but yeah I think there there's there's still something else to be drawn out mm-hmm. um, and, and, and more discussions to be had no I'm glad you brought that in here My guest today has been Justin Noble. Justin is a journalist and writes for a blog called Digital Dying. You can learn more about Justin through funeralwise.com or his website, justinnoble.com. Justin, thank you so much for being with us. The word death evokes all sorts of personal feelings, images, and stories. These stories are compelling and sharing them connects us more fully to life. I'm Ariane Elfant, and you've been listening to Death the Podcast. Join us for our next episode in this series. This show is produced and engineered by Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Jill Gross. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, go to his website, davidmilling.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at deaththepodcast.com. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.